Good evening. If you will, get your Bibles out and turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We'll begin our study there in just a few moments. Acts chapter 4. You may wonder, what in the world is Landon doing up here and Bob's sitting over there and Dustin's sitting over there? Um, we know Brother Bob is in a meeting this week and uh, they had several things after services today and he didn't know if he would make it back. So uh, he had asked me a week or so ago if I would be ready to speak for him and so he came in on two wheels, I believe, and um, he said, now I'm not going to force you to, but I'd like for you to. So no, I'm prepared to go and uh, uh, very honored to be asked to do it and, and, and enjoy speaking and um, appreciate the, the opportunity very much. Um, <coughs> excuse me. As most of you know, um, I work with the Pleasant Grove congregation as well. I preach there on uh, Sunday mornings and have been doing that for uh, right at six years, six years and a month um, this month. And uh, many of you here have, uh, I would say, a vested interest in the, in the congregation there. Some of you attended there years ago. Some of you have had family members that have preached there. And I uh, wanted to just kind of give you a very just quick update uh, on, the, on the work there. Um, it is, of course, declining. It's, it's made up of a lot of, of older people. The community has, has changed. Uh, we average, I guess, about 30 uh, on Sunday mornings. And uh, I work there with, uh, with Brother Philip Owens. Many of you, many of you know him. Um, he pre he uh, teaches Bible class on Sunday mornings. I preach, and then he preaches uh, Sunday evenings and does Bible class on Wednesday evenings. Um, I've always thought it an honor to, to work with the congregation there. There have been just uh, a, a plethora of, of as uh, my granddaddy would say, mighty fine preachers that have, have come out of there. Um, it's very humbling when you think of, uh, you know, Brother Owens, who's a wonderful preacher and teacher. You get people like Brother Edwards and, and, and Brother Hutto, Hiram Hutto, and, uh, um, you know, Richard Copeland, and, and my grandfather, Leo Plyler, uh, who, who all preach there and who many of you know. It's very humbling uh, when you are uh, stepping in a pulpit that those men like that have, have been in. And so I appreciate that opportunity as well. <coughs> Brother Dustin spoke this morning on unity. Uh, I was able to watch most of it uh, as I was eating lunch today and, and I commend him for a good job on that. We spoke briefly Wednesday and I said, what are you going to preach on so that we make sure that we don't duplicate things or uh, if we can have something that works together. And that's what we're going to do this evening. Uh, he spoke on unity uh, much as a congregation this morning. We're going to bring it down a little bit more to a personal level this evening. Uh, it's a very simple sermon. Uh, it's one though that is of self-examination. It's one that I want you to look in the mirror and reflect in the mirror. I want you to, as Shrek says, peel back the layers of the onion and look at yourself and see where am I doing well and where can I do better. <clears throat> I want to ask you a series of questions before we get into the meat of our study. What are you known for? What are you known for? 
Are you known for being helpful, being kind, loving, maybe funny, or an optimist? Or are you known for being angry, maybe short-fused, lazy? Maybe you're known for being a gossiper. Maybe you're known for someone that's, being, that's known for being strong in the faith. Maybe you're known for someone who's weak in the faith. Maybe you're known for simply being a Christian. And the list could go on and on. But think for a second, what are you known for? What does your family say about you? What do they think of you? What does your immediate family, maybe your, your husband or your wife or your children, your parents, what do they say about you? What do your extended family, maybe cousins, aunts and uncles, what do they say about you? <clears throat> what do your friends say about you? Are you known for having that positive influence? Are you known from, by your friends of being a Christian, being someone who is truthful, someone who is faithful? Or are you known for maybe being two-faced? Or you're one way with a certain group of friends and you're another way with a cer another certain group of friends. You're another way maybe with your family. What do your fellow Christians say about you? Do they say that they're strong in the faith? They're a good Christian. They're dependable. They're reliable. They're tested. Or, and I know this firsthand, that some who call themselves Christians drink speak profanity, dress immodestly when they're with their friends, and try to portray to be the Christian of strong faith when they're around those who are of the faith. And you may be able to think of some of those as well. <clears throat> if your family, your friends, your fellow Christians were to give you a name for what you are known for, what would it be? If they were to give you a name, what would it be? You know, you may think of uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Each one of them had a name, right? Of what they were known for. I know of some people today that have nicknames of what they're known for. I know a guy they call Turbo. Why do you think? He's really fast. Know another guy named Cheeseburger. I don't even know his real name. Why? Because he's eating cheeseburgers all the time. That's all he eats. Know another guy named Porkchop because he eats a lot. Know someone named Fat. That's what they call him, Fat. You can only guess why. He's fat. And I can say that because I am. I know another guy named Foot, because he wears like a 22 shoe. 
I know another guy named Butter because his, his skin is as smooth and soft as butter. And you can probably think of people that way that may have a nickname. It's what they're known by, what they're known for. <clears throat> well, if you're in Acts chapter 4, you probably know where we're going. We're going to talk about Barnabas this evening. Barnabas, how are you known? In Acts chapter 4 and verse 36, it says, Thus Joseph, your version may say Joseph there, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. The apostles here gave Joseph the name Barnabas. Why? Because it means son of encouragement. <clears throat> we see what Barnabas was known for and what he was called for. We live in a time today that people are selfish, they're self-centered. We live in a society that's that way. But we will see Barnabas was not that way. And I encourage you now, as we go through our study, to be a Barnabas. <clears throat> I want us to look at a few different translations of Acts chapter 4 and verse 36 to help us get a little bit better understanding of the word that is used there. The American Standard Version says, which is being interpreted son of exhortation. <clears throat> the King James Version translates it there, the son of consolation. The New American Standard Bible, as well as the English Standard, says son of encouragement. And the Young's literal translation says son of comfort depending on which translation you're reading, I think that that gives us a little bit understanding of what Barnabas was known for. I ask you, are you these things? Could this be said about you? That you are a person of comfort, a person of encouragement, a person of exhortation or consolation. Let's take a deeper look at the word that is used there for encouragement. Pakaralesis, it's Strong's G3874. It's used in the Bible a total of 29 times in 28 different verses. Translated to consolation 14 times, exhortation 8 times, comfort 6 times, and entreaty 1 time. It means a call, calling near, a summons especially for help, an imploration, a supplication, an entreaty, an exhortation, an admonishment, encouragement, as we've seen it used, consolation, comfort, solace, that what, which affords comfort and refreshment, persuasive discourse, a stirring address. If you type in the almighty Google, 
And just type in define encouragement. This is the first thing that pops up from the Oxford Languages Dictionary. It says the action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. Are you a person that's like this? Let's pull the passage now into context there that we looked at in Acts chapter 4. Let's pick up in verse 32 and read through verse 37. These passages that are on the overhead are from the English Standard Version. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with the great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We see here, as Brother Dustin talked about this morning, those who believed were of one heart. They're together. That unity, we see that. But we see Barnabas here individually helping out. We see that no one had a need. No one. They were all working together. But we also see that Barnabas took and sold something of value and gave it to the apostles to help those who were in need. Therefore, the apostles giving him the name Barnabas, son of encouragement, I don't want us to take this lightly here. We have the apostles, those who are selected by Jesus Christ himself, gave him this name, Barnabas. Let's don't take that lightly. He must have been oozing with encouragement or else the apostles would not have given him this name. I want us to look at a few points that we can gain from this text as we go through our our study this evening. First of all, we see that Barnabas was committed to the cause of Christ. Barnabas was committed to Christ. He was also committed to those of the faith. He was not controlled by worldly things. We see in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We see very evidently where Barnabas' treasure was. He sold something of great value. I ask you this evening, where is your treasure? What does it portray? What does how you were known Show where your treasure is. He did not love in word only, but he showed it. In 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, it says, But if anyone 
has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, Barnabas put his money where his mouth was. He took and sold something of great value. Took it to the apostles to take care of those in need and for the work that needed to be done. He walked the walk and talked the talk. Oftentimes I'm afraid today that we as Christians really like to talk, but it stops there. We don't follow through. We talk about it, and sometimes we talk about it a lot. But yet we just talk. We don't have action. We see Barnabas here was one of action. Are you one that just talks and doesn't act? Or are you one that acts? <clears throat> Barnabas was a man that would not rob God. We see in Malachi chapter 3 beginning in verse 8, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is more need. We see that in Acts 4, everything is focused on those who are Christians, those who are in need, and everyone is taken care of. We see the unity there. It also makes me think of James chapter 1 and verse 17. We can all probably quote that verse there, but every good and perfect gift comes from above. And we need to remember that, that everything we have comes from God. You look through the audience this evening. We are all richly blessed. We all got here in an automobile. We have clothes. We have air conditioned houses. There are many across not just this country but this world that are not as fortunate as we. And we oftentimes take what we have for granted and we are so selfish that we're not willing to share with others what God has given us. And we need to look in the mirror. We need to peel back the layers of that onion and truly see us for who we are. And not just that, because God sees us and He is all-knowing. And we need to remember that. But we also see with Barnabas, he lived just as he was called by the apostles. He stood up for Saul, Paul, when everyone else was scared of him, 
We see that there in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 26. It said, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. We're talking about Saul here. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how to Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas saw that Saul had changed and he stood up for him. We even see, if you look in Acts chapter 9, that Jesus replies <clears throat> to him when he's talking to him. He says, you are persecuting me. He's persecuting Jesus, not just the Christians, but me. Do you stand up for other Christians? Do you stand up for other Christians when they are right? And they're in difficult situations. I've seen it happen. The Christians are right. They've been put in difficult situations and they are abandoned. And they're abandoned by those of the faith. Brother Dustin talked about unity this morning. We need to stand up for each other. We see that he exhorted the church at Antioch. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 11, in verse 19, and reading through verse 26, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over, over Stephen traveled as far as, Phine as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus, and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of the Lord, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus and to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They were first called Christians here, and who was involved? Barnabas. I ask you this evening, what do you do for the church here at Oak Mountain? Are you a pew warmer? Do you come on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday nights, and that's all you do? Let's take it a step further. Do you help or hurt the congregation here at Oak Mountain? Let's take it another step further. How are you known outside these walls? 
Because how you're known outside these walls dictates on how you can help the congregation here. If you're not acting as a Christian ought to act, well, he goes to church at Oak Mountain. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. Or are you known for, wow, he's, he's very faithful. I know that that congregation that he goes to is strong. Let me tell you an example. <clears throat> when my grandfather went to the Westwood congregation, when he moved there to, to preach there, he had moved into his house, and much as Brother Dustin has done, and he had to go to Ace Hardware to get some things, probably to hang some pictures that my grandmother wanted hung or something like that. But he went and got what he needed and preached his first sermon there on Sunday morning. And as he was standing in the back shaking hands, the gentleman that helped him at Ace Hardware come up and shook his hand. Brother Wes and Sister Mary probably know who I'm talking about. He said he was the nicest man. He said, I was not surprised that he was a Christian. Can that be said about you? That if someone was to come here and visit, that you may know from the world, or someone who is not, and they say, I'm not surprised they're a Christian. You see, how we act outside of here, what we are known for, has a direct reflection of the congregation here at Oak Mountain. So we just don't need to be a Christian in name only. We need to live it. And Barnabas did. <clears throat> but also like Aaron and her, Barnabas gave similar encouragement. We remember that story there in Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 10. It says, So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Do we stand by other Christians and lift them up when they need it? Maybe when they're sick. Maybe when they've lost a loved one. What about when they're spiritually sick? Do we go to them and do we lift them up? Do we encourage them? Do we exhort them? Do we comfort them? So many times I've seen it, and you have too, that Christians do a better job of tearing each other down than they do building each other up. We need to be like Barnabas and be that encourager the one who lifts others up. 
First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Are we doing it? If not, we better be. <clears throat> but also Barnabas was forgiving. You see, we know the story when John Mark left Paul and the others. We see that in Acts chapter 13 and there in verse 13. It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Pamphys and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. You see, John Mark left them here. And as we know from Scripture, this created some ill feelings, maybe some doubt. There was a disagreement that had gone on, and John Mark left. But Barnabas showed that he was willing to forgive and put the past behind him. In Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36, it says, And after some days Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with him the one who had withdrawn from Pamphylia and had not gone with him to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. So they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. You see, Barnabas stood up for John Mark. He knew how valuable he was. Do we stand up for our brethren? Do we value each other? But more so, are we willing to forgive one another? Later on, because of Barnabas, Paul began to trust John Mark again. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, it says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for the ministry. See, Paul, Paul changed. Why? Barnabas saw his value. He used him. He was forgiving. Do we stand up for our fellow brothers and sisters? What if Barnabas had not stood up for John Mark in Acts 15? What would have happened? He might not ever been included with the apostles again, but he did. And he made things right. I want to leave you with three thoughts this evening. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was certainly the right name for Joseph. We see that through the scriptures that he built up individuals, that he encouraged people, that he built up congregations, that he preached the word. If you were to be given a name based on how you live, what would it be?
the second question of that that goes along with that is, would it be a name you would be proud of? If it's not a name that you would be proud of, change it. Change people's perception of you. Live it. Live the life of a Christian. Be a Barnabas. The study is yours. I want you to take it. And I want you to examine yourself this evening. Am I living the life that I ought to live? Am I being the Christian that I ought to be? Am I being a Barnabas? If not, fix it. Get your life right. And if you're not a Christian, start. Become one. It's the best decision that you'll ever make in your life. And don't let this opportunity pass you by. If we can help you in any way this evening, come as we stand and as we sing.